John has been talking about the fact that God is light and the ramifications of that. And now he kind of switches gears for a few verses, uh, beginning in verse 3 of 1 John chapter 2. We read, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the eternal Son of God, the one who became man and lived a perfect life and died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins, was buried, was raised from the dead and ascended back to heaven. Thank you that right now he is seated at the place of privilege, the place of power, he's seated at your right hand. And we come to worship him. We come to exalt him. And Lord, we ask now that as we come to your amazing word, your transforming word, uh, that you would speak to each and every one of our hearts, so that we might hear what thus saith the Lord. And Father, give us the desire, the determination, the enablement, to be more than just hearers of the word. Help us also to be doers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The story is told of a boy flying a kite. The kite was so high that it disappeared. A man walked by the boy, and asked the boy, why are you holding on to that string? The man, the boy said to the man, because I have a kite up there. And the man looked up and didn't see the kite and told him, I don't see it. And the boy responded by saying, well, I know it's up there because I can feel the tug on the string. I can feel the tug on the string. The important question that I would ask each and every one of us is, how do you know that you know Christ? What are the assurances in your life? What are the tugs in your individual life that lets you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are a child of God? And before you answer that question, I just want to turn you to our text. I want to turn you to what the Apostle John wrote in these verses. Let him answer. 
on how we can know beyond a shadow of doubt that indeed we are Christians, that we belong to Christ. The, the subject of our text is the assuring tugs of knowing Christ. John gives us some evidences, some proofs that a person can really know that they know that they know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's one of the most important things that you and I need to come to grips with, particularly those of us who are Christians. We need to be able to say with certainty that I know Christ. The London Baptist preacher, the late Charles Haddon Spurgeon, is known for letting people know that he was certain and sure about his salvation. And it is said that he said, I'm so sure of my salvation that I could grab hold of a corn stalk and hang over the fires of hell and stare the devil in the face and sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. That's the kind of assurance that God wants each and every one of his children to have. To have that certainty, to, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, no, no matter what is taking place, no matter what is going on, to be able to say, on the basis of the word of God that I know Christ. And so in our text, the Apostle John identifies three tugs that assure us that we know Christ. And the first tug that assures us that we know Christ is the tug of being obedient in, in verse 3. Uh, obedience in our walk with God gives us assurance that indeed I belong to God, that indeed I am a Christian. In this verse, John presents the reality that a person can know Christ. Think about that for a moment. The eternal Son of God. The, the second person of the Trinity can actually be known by men and women and boys and girls. In a stadium a few miles away from us, people are going to be in that stadium. And they're excited. They paid thousands of dollars that they might see their teens play football. We as Christians have a far, far greater privilege than what they have. We have the privilege of not only seeing Christ, but knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And John wants us to know. He, he wants to go on record. He wants to say to each of us that Christ, Jesus, can be known. And when he says that, he's not talking about us knowing about Christ, but he's talking about knowing Christ personally, knowing Christ intimately, knowing Christ experientially. You see, those people, those fans who will watch the game in the stadium having paid all that money, they might know about the players. They might know who the quarterbacks are. They might know who the defensive linemen are. But, but the majority of them, unless they're family, the majority of them don't know those players. They cannot say that they have a personal, intimate relationship with those players. But, but John is presenting before us that the one who is glorious and magnificent and marvelous, that not only can we know about him, but we can know him. That we can experience him. That he can be as real to us as any other person that we might know. And the way that we get to know him, know Christ, it starts off by repenting of our sins and putting our faith in Jesus. Salvation means that you know God, that you know Christ. That's what Jesus himself said in John chapter 17, verse 3, in his high priestly prayer. He prayed that these individuals would know God. And then Jesus said, this is eternal life. We think about eternal life and we say eternal life is living forever. Everyone is going to live forever. Everyone, either with the Lord or in eternal lake of fire, everyone is going to live forever. So, so Jesus said, this is eternal life, not so much that you're going to live forever. This is eternal life that you may know him, that you may know God. The, the very heart, the very essence of eternal life is that we know God, that we know Christ. But that's not the end of it. Paul goes on to say in Philippians 3.10, that the burning passion of his heart, the burning desire of his life, is that he wants to know Christ. Think about that for a moment. Paul, the apostle. Paul, who has written all these different books in the New Testament. Paul, who has been a Christian for at least some 20 years. Paul, who wrote the profound book of Romans. Paul knows about Christ, but he said, my burning passion is not to know about Christ. My burning passion is to know Christ, to know him intimately and to know him personally so that I know that he walks with me and that he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. What a blessed privilege. What a marvelous opportunity it is 
that God says that you can know my eternal son, that you can have a personal relationship, that you can have a, an experiential relationship, that you can know him intimately. Yes, we want to know Christ intellectually. You know, and there are some people who are just brilliant in knowing Christ intellectually. But unfortunately, they don't know him intimately. Just because you know all of the doctrines about Christ, just because you can dot all the I's and all the T's, doesn't mean that you know Christ. You might know about him, and praise God, we want to know about him, because without knowing about him, we can't know him. But when John talks about knowing him, that is, knowing Christ, he's talking about knowing Christ in the head and in the heart. He's talking about knowing Christ intellectually and intimately. And John says, a person can know that they know, that they know, that they know, that they know Christ. They can be that certain and that sure about it. That they don't have to float through life hoping and praying that they have a relationship with Christ. John says he can know that. John says his readers can know that. When he says, we know. Paul says, John says, I, I don't base my knowing Christ on the fact that I'm an apostle. John says, no, I base the fact that I know Christ on something else. And what is it? He says, by this, we know. We have come to know him if we keep his commandments. That's the tug. That's what allows us to be assured that I have a relationship with the eternal son of God. I keep his commandments. And Christ does have commandments. John will talk about that next Sunday, about loving one another. And in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, John says that Christ's commandments are not burdensome, not grievous. But John says when it comes to you and me, those who profess to be Christian, we are to have a relationship with Christ's commandments. And what is that relationship? We are to keep them. And the word keep is a little bit more involved than do. Here, John doesn't say that we do Christ's command, but he says that we keep. That means we keep an eye. We keep a focus. No, our perspective is this is the word of God. These are the commandments of Christ. My attention is on that. I'm guarding that. Why? Because I want to do it. And John says, when it comes to these commandments, we observe them, we keep them, 
We guard them. We watch over them. We make sure our life is committed to doing them. And he says it's by this that we know, that we know, that we know, that we know Christ. This is the tug in our life that assures me that the kite of knowing Christ is mine. It's there. The second tug that assures the Christian that he knows Christ is the tug of being a practitioner. You are familiar with a nurse practitioner. John wants us to be familiar with a Christian practitioner because that's the one who can be assured of the fact that he or she has genuine salvation. In verse 4, John introduces us not to the practitioner, but to the one who's the opposite of the practitioner. He introduces us to the professor. Now, when I say the professor, I'm not talking about one who teaches in a classroom. I'm using that term professor in the same way that John is using it in verse 4. Who is the professor? It's the one who says, I have come to know him. That's what's coming out of his mouth. No, nobody's putting those words in that individual's mouth. Nobody's reporting. This person says, I have come to know Christ. I'm a Christian. They're saying it with their mouths. They're saying it with their lives. So, well, with their lips. They're saying, I'm a Christian. I wear a cross around my neck. I got tattoos on my arm. I got bumper stickers on my car. I'm a Christian. I come to church. I'm a member of a church. And this person is making the claim, I have come to know Christ. The very thing that John mentioned earlier. That's the talk of the professor. I have come to know Christ. And he says it regularly, regularly and repeatedly. But notice the walk of the professor. He's saying, I have come to know Christ, but at the same time, he, he does not keep his commandments. This person who says he's a Christian or she's a Christian, at the same time that person is saying that, that person does not keep Christ's commandment. I, I know Christ, but I do not keep on a regular basis the commandments of Christ. That, that is not a part of my life. That, that is not my norm. I fail at keeping the commandments of Christ. This is what this person is saying and living. I know Christ, but at the same time, he does not keep 
Christ's commandments. So what's the evaluation of the professor? John says very clearly, he is a liar. He is a liar. That's not me saying that. That's not me judging. That's the Apostle John judging. That's the Apostle John saying authoritatively what thus saith the Lord. That the person who says, I have come to know Christ, and that same person does not keep his commandments, John says he is a liar. He's not telling the truth. Every time he opens his mouth and says, I have come to know Christ, he is lying. He's not just lying, he is a lie. Strong medicine, strong language. But don't get upset with me. John is the one making the evaluation as the apostle of Christ. John is saying this on behalf of God. That you can talk all you want, but but what is your walk saying? And if your walk basically is you're not keeping his commandment, you're a liar. You're a liar. And some of us are liars. Some of us are liars. We're saying we're a Christian, but we're lying because our walk says it. And not only that are we lying, John goes on to say the truth is not in him. In the inward parts of that individual, you're not going to find the truth. Won't be there. The truth is absent. The, the truth of saying that I know Christ is not present because my walk says just the opposite. My walk says that I'm not keeping his commandments. And as a result of that, I'm a liar. And the truth is not in me. That's the professor. Now the professor might be teaching at a school. He might even be teaching at a religious school. He might be teaching in Sunday school. But, but the issue is not where the person teaches. It's what they're claiming. They claim one thing with their talk, but their walk says something just the opposite. And so in strong contrast to the professor, there is the practitioner. The practitioner in verse 5, very opposite of the lying professor. And John identifies him simply in verse 5 as whoever. John said, I don't need to give you a name. I don't need to say it's me or someone else. Whoever. He says, this practitioner, it's not important what the name is. What's important is what their walk is. And so he talks about the walk of the practitioner. And he says that the walk of the practitioner is this. Keeps Christ's word. That's his walk. Not saying he's perfect. 
but his walk can be characterized as obedience to the word of God. He keeps Christ's word. And it's interesting, in the previous two verses, it was Christ's commandments. Now John says Christ's word. That's a little bit broader. It's not just the commandments that come out of Christ's mouth, but it's the promises and the principles. And this individual keeps it, guards it, obeys it, lives it, conducts himself in light of it. So so what is John's evaluation of the practitioner? What does he say about the practitioner? He, He says, in him, in the practitioner, in the one who keeps Christ's word, in him, the love of God has been truly perfected. What he's saying is that when it comes to the practitioner, the practitioner has a relationship with the love of God. And when we talk about the love of God, it can be explained in different ways. It could be referred to love for God. And you do know that as believers in Christ, that we are to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. We are to love God with every part of our being. We are to love God with the whole of our being. You and I are to have love for God. And in fact, Jesus says, if if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So that's a valid truth, but I don't think that's what John is talking about here. You see, there's another side to this love of God. It's not just love for God, but it's God's love for us. Hallelujah, that God loves us. And that's what John is talking about. And he will talk about it more in chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, when he talks about God's love sent his son and how God's love presented Christ as the sacrifice for sin. So here, the person who obeys Christ's word has a relationship with the love of God, has a relationship with God's love for the individual. And it could be said that God's love for that individual is in him resides in him. But not only that, but God's love in the individual is being perfected. You can't make God's love perfect. When when we read God's love is being perfected, it's saying it's being mature, it's growing, it's reaching its end. Do you know what the, the goal and the purpose of God's love toward you is? As a sinner... It's to bring you to salvation in Christ. But as a saint, it is to sanctify you and cause you and cause me to live a life of obedience. So so when John looks at this practitioner, when he looks at this individual who is keeping Christ's word, he's saying in that individual... God's love toward that individual reaches its goal. And what is that goal? That we obey the word of God. 
that we obey the word of God. And, and John says, not only is that love of God being perfect, truly perfected. He's emotional about it. He's saying, certainly, without a doubt, that is the case. But there's something else that John says about this practitioner. He doesn't just simply identify the practitioner. He doesn't just simply talk about his walk, keeps Christ's word. He doesn't simply talk about the evaluation. In him, the love of God has truly been perfected. But at the very end of verse 5, he makes another statement. It's an assurance. It goes back to what we saw in verse 3. By this... John says, by, by this, we know that we are in him. D- do you hear that? John is saying that the person who keeps Christ's word, by that means, that person can know that they are in Christ. And, and this is more than just simply knowing Christ as he said earlier, has come to know Christ. Now he's saying, you can know that you know that you know that you know that you are in Christ. And how can I know that? Obedience to the word of God. There's a progression here and don't miss it. It's one thing to know Christ. But at the end of verse 5, John is talking about being in Christ. He's picking up the truth of the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians where he keeps saying, in Christ, in Christ, in him, in the Lord. It speaks of our union with Christ, our inseparable union with Christ. So, So a person can know that they know that they know that they know that they are in union with Christ. How? By keeping Christ's word. The tug of the practitioner assures the Christian that he knows Christ. And I did not say the tug of a professor. Neither did I say the tug of a perfectionist. There is no such individual outside of Jesus Christ. I hope you aren't getting the message here that somehow the only way I can know Christ is I have to be perfect. If that's the case, none of us will experience the tug of assurance. Not one of us. John has made it perfectly clear there are no perfectionists in the church. You might think you're a perfectionist, but John says, no, there there are no perfectionists. That's what he dealt with in chapter 1. Those are saying, I'm not sinful. John says, hogwash. You're deceiving yourself. The truth is not in you. Christians confess their sins. John says, you, you, you say you have not committed an act of sin. John says, hogwash. When you do that, you make God a liar. And his word is not in you. 
Christians understand that Christ is their paraclete and Christ is their propitiation for their sins. They understand that they're not perfect. So the assurance is not to the professor, it's not to the perfectionist, it's to the practitioner, the one whose life seeks to honor and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. The one when temptation comes knocking at the door is willing to resist temptation by the enablement of God. The the, the one who doesn't just float in and out and in sin. And it's no problem at all. Now the practitioner, God can say, keeps Christ's word. The third and final tug that assures us that we know Christ is a tug of being a debtor. We talked about being obedient, being a practitioner, but now there's a sense that John brings out in verse 6 of being a debtor. And it's the debtor. Who, who has the assurance that he or she knows Christ. John identifies this individual to us in verse 6 when he says, the one who says he abides in him. Uh, again, he's looking at a person's claim. Here's a claim where a person is saying, I abide in Christ. Now, we have seen individuals that John has talked about having come to know Christ and being in Christ, here's something even stronger. As a Christian, you can know Christ, you can be in Christ, and then also you can abide in Christ. You can continue and remain. It's more than just a state, so to speak, but there's activity there. And abide is one of John's favorite words. On your own, read John 15, when Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. And one of the key things he says in that passage is abide. Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me, continue in me. Here is an individual saying that he abides in Christ. That's a noble claim. Nothing wrong with the claim. But understand that when you make that claim, you have an obligation. You have a responsibility. It's not sufficient to say, I abide in the most intimate and personal way in Jesus Christ, and I can go and do whatever I want. It's not enough. If you claim to have the deepest of relationships with Christ, so that not only do you know him, not only are you in him, but you abide in him, then you have an obligation, you have a responsibility. If you're going to be a moral person, if you're going to be a person that honors God, 
And that's why John goes on to say, the one who says that ought himself to walk. Ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. That is, as Christ walked. Ought himself is a debt. There's a responsibility. There's an obligation placed on the person who says this. And obviously, John is thinking that these are the words of a genuine Christian. It's nothing wrong with saying that we have come to know Christ. Nothing wrong with saying that we are in Christ, in union with him. Nothing wrong with saying that we abide in him. But just understand that that is not the end of the story. There's an obligation, there's a responsibility, there's a debt to fulfill. And what is that debt? To walk, to live your, not talk your life, to walk, to behave, to conduct, to live your life in the same manner like he walked. And the he is Jesus Christ. So, so John is saying to the one who says that he has this relationship with Christ, that he knows him, that he's in him, that he abides in him, that your obligation, your, your responsibility before God is to live your life in the same manner, in the same way like Jesus lived his life when he was on earth. That's our obligation. That's our responsibility as children of God. We, we don't expect unbelievers to live this way. But God expects his children. God expects those who know Christ to live this way, to walk as Jesus walked to live as he lived. And I hope you know he's not asking you to go literally dying on a cross and pay for sin. You can't pay for sins. Couldn't pay for your own sins. Christ did that. But, but John assumes that his readers Know how Christ lived. Know how Christ walked. You know that? Have you spent enough time in the Gospels to know how Christ walked? Did you go with me as we went through the Gospel of Mark and learn how Christ walked? God has given us this fourfold picture of Christ, the four Gospels, so that we can know who Christ is and we can know how he lived. And how he lived is to be an example for us, is to be a model for us. We are to walk as he walked. And I can't take this sermon and tell you everything about this. I would have to preach Mark all over again, all 60 plus sermons. And you don't want that. I don't want that. 
But when you look at how Jesus walked, there's certain things that you can say. He was sold out to God's will. He was sold out to do the will of his father. He didn't come to do his own will, came to do the will of his father. That's how he walked. He walked as a servant. Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus said in defining greatness, he said, I didn't come to be served. I didn't come to have people bow down on my feet and serve me, but I came to serve. He was a servant. When he walked on this earth, he was compassionate. He saw the 5,000 without food, and his heart was broken about them. He saw the, 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 the paralytic. He, he heard the requests of Jairus concerning his daughter, even when his daughter had died. And he was compassionate. He was moved to act. He sympathized and did something. He was forgiving. Think about all the wrongs, all the sins that were done against Jesus on earth, the perfect man, and he forgave. We have the audacity to turn around and say, I can't forgive my mate. I can't forgive my child. I can't forgive my mother or my father. We're obligated, if we're children of God, to walk like Christ walked. He was loving. That's what we've been talking about on Wednesday night, loving one another. That's what is to mark us. You have an obligation. I have an obligation. If I say, if I make the claim that I'm in Christ, that I abide in him, I have an obligation to walk as he walked, as Christ walked. And I think it's summed up in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. When Jesus lays down the responsibilities of following him, he says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Just do that, and you'll be fine. The tug of being a debtor assures the Christian that he knows Christ. It's hard to believe you are a Christian if this tug is not in your life, if this tug is not in your heart. If there's no burden, if there's no desire, if there's no sense of being compelled to walk as Christ walked, it's hard to believe that you can be a Christian. That desire, that compulsion, even though we don't obey it fully, none of us walk as he walked perfectly. But, but, but that desire, that want, that obligation, that responsibility is meant to Assure us, to, to give us confidence that we are indeed the children 
of God. You can know that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know Christ. You can know. While swinging, so to speak, over the fires of hell, you can look the devil in the face and and sing from the depths of your soul. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. You can, and God wants you to do that and be able to do that. How? How can I know that there's a string attached from my heart to the heart of Christ in heaven who's seated at the right hand of God? I can tell you how you can make sure that it's not attached. If you just think you prayed a sinner's prayer, you just think you got baptized and that does it, or you walk down an aisle, or you come to church, that's not how you know there's a tug on the string that's attached from your heart to Christ's heart who's at the right hand of God. Do you feel the tug of being obedient? You walk the Christian life and don't merely talk it. God's love toward you helps you to keep his commandments. Do you feel the tug of being a practitioner? Is there a general sense in your life and my life that I keep Christ's word. I, I didn't ask you how long you've been a member of Fairview. I, I didn't ask you about your profession of faith. I'm asking, do you feel the tug of being a practitioner? That the love of God toward you reaches its goal of you obeying his word. Do you feel the tug of being a debtor? You know you're not perfect, but you possess a compelling obligation and responsibility to walk on earth as your Savior walked on earth. Praise God. Praise God if you are feeling the assuring tugs of knowing Christ. Because God does want his children to feel those tugs. But it's very possible that you don't feel those tugs. And maybe the reason why you don't feel those tugs is that you don't know Christ. You have not repented of your sins and put your faith in Christ alone for salvation. Today is the day of salvation. If you're not experiencing the tug, the assuring tugs of knowing Christ, I plead with you, give your life to Christ.
And, and when you do that, when he saves you, you will begin to experience these times. There will be a desire to want to obey Christ's commandments. You'll start being a practitioner. Instead of practicing sin, you'll be practicing righteousness. You'll have a understand your sense of debt to, to walk as Christ has walked. So if you're not one today who can say that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know Christ, then it could be that God is saying to you that you don't have a personal relationship with his son. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a no-soul salvation. Thank you for these assuring tugs of knowing Christ. And what a blessed privilege it is that we can know the eternal Son of God, that we can know about him and that we can have an intimate and personal relationship with him. And Father, when we do know Christ, then there are tugs that assure us that we know him. The tug of being obedient, the tug of being a practitioner, and the tug of being a debtor. Father, help us not to be deceived by the master deceiver, Satan, who would like us to think that we are saved when there are no tugs that assures that we are saved. Help us to look into the mirror of your word and make sure that we have repented of our sins and put our faith in Christ alone for salvation. Help us to make sure that for those of us who are genuinely saved, who know you, that it will be our burning passion throughout our life to know Christ in an intimate and personal way. Thank you that you want us to be able to sing from the depths of our hearts. Blessed assurance, Jesus is indeed mine. We pray this in the wonderful name of Christ. Amen.